What's up, Story Geeks? It's Jay. On today's podcast, we're continuing our serial, Time Slingers Season 1, the online time travel adventure series, which we turned into a novel, and now we've turned into an audiobook. Last week, we published Episode 4, and this week, we're diving into Episode 5. Don't miss my writer's commentary on our Patreon account, where I break down our thoughts on time travel and storytelling. If you become a supporter of the Story Geeks podcast on Patreon at the $3 a month tier, you unlock the writer's commentary every week, and you unlock the full audiobook when it's completed, which means you don't have to sit through these intros and outros I'm recording. All $3 a month supporters and above will receive the uninterrupted audiobook and my writer's commentary for no additional cost. Physical and digital copies of Time Slingers Season 1 are available on Amazon if you prefer not to listen to me read it to you. And if you don't want to become a patron, you can purchase the full audiobook as soon as it's finished. Links to those things are in the show notes, or you can head over to patreon.com slash thestorygeeks or reclamationsociety.org slash timeslingers for more info. Time Slingers Season 1 is produced by the Reclamation Society. In our last episode, Marcus Klein was able to get his hands on Apollo 13 schematics, but realized he still needs access to the actual spacecraft itself. Meanwhile, Hector Salazar believes that the bounty hunter he and Jack Harrington encountered in Orlando, Florida, is actually his sister. All right, let's jump back in. Here's episode five of Time Slingers. Episode 5, April 10th, 1970, Kennedy Space Center, Henry Ellis's office. Klein positioned Henry's body in a way that appeared natural. To a casual observer, Henry had fallen asleep at his desk while working late into the night. Klein slid the mission notes underneath the engineer's arm and then set the neuropulse rewriter, or NPR, on the desk. He attached a pad to both sides of Henry's head. Two sets of needle-thin tendrils slid out of the pads and snaked into Henry's ears. The arms of the NPR stimulated a portion of Henry's temporal lobe, rewriting his memory. He wouldn't just forget what happened, he would have entirely new memories. How close are you? Command asked through the communicator. Just blended the evidence. Klein left the office, got in Henry's car, and drove to launch pad 39A. Two security guards spotted his car as it pulled up. They sauntered over and aimed their flashlights at him. Sorry, sir, the uh, pad's closed for the night. Klein stepped out of the car and pulled a pistol, fired two shots. The guards hit the asphalt face down, unconscious. Klein injected them with the memory-erasing serum and moved to the launch site. He paused beneath the Saturn V rocket that loomed over him like a gigantic bird of prey. Asleep and tranquil now, it would soon roar to life, flinging its cargo into space. To Klein, it was archaic, a fascinating relic of man's early attempts at space travel. But he didn't have time to admire history. A detailed schematic of the oxygen tanks has been sent to your data pad. Placement of the explosives is critical even to a centimeter. Klein scrolled through the blueprint. A pulsing red light on the display indicated the location of the oxygen tanks on the service module. Two small circles on the schematic revealed the appropriate placement of the nickel-sized explosives. Sabotage seemed too easy, but the intricate puzzle of deception reached far beyond Apollo 13. Operation Yamato was just beginning. April 11, 1970, outside Kennedy Space Center, Cape Canaveral, Florida. Hector stepped on the gas and sped past another car, checked his watch. Since the bounty hunters attacked, they had been skirting from motel to motel, trying to stay off the XLS's radar. Meanwhile, the subdivision hadn't been able to find any information regarding the XLS's target. 
Their best assumption remained the Apollo program, but they were running out of time. We need to call the local authorities. HQ said no. Not enough evidence, said Jack. We can't prove they altered anything. What if we miss something? What if it explodes right in front of us? We're measuring risk with human lives. Hector pulled off the highway and slid to a stop. Both men exited the car. Jack's communicator signaled an incoming call. He put it through on speaker so Hector could hear. Anything? Asked Jessica. I was going to ask you the same thing. Nothing new here either. Hector punched the chain link fence. We have to call off the launch. Negative. We're staying at level one. Limited engagement. We're stuck unless we can prove there's been a significant breach. Subdivision rules of engagement stated that history could not be altered by Union time slingers unless a serious infraction forced intervention. Significant breach? They assassinated a president. They're rewriting history and we're standing here with our hands tied. What else can we do? Asked Jack. Find my sister. Maybe she knows something. Maybe... The rumble came at them like an earthquake. White smoke billowed up and around the launch pad. The Saturn V came to life. It started as if in slow motion, harnessing its colossal power before catapulting skyward. It gained speed, leaving an ashen exhaust trail as it burned through the blue horizon. A long moment passed before Jack turned to Hector. I'm not sure whether I should be relieved or terrified. He gazed back up to where the smoke vanished. If they didn't blow it up, then what'd they do to it? June 15th, 2147. XLS phase travel operations, New London, Earth's moon. The rocket didn't explode over the launch pad. Klein hesitated. Lee kept walking. Klein fell back into step. Did they get to Fra Morrow? Lee handed Klein his data pad. Klein scanned the report. Apollo 13 had made it home. The explosives had gone off, but too late. The spacecraft had circled the moon before hobbling back to Earth. A moon landing had been aborted. The astronauts had survived, but Fra Morrow hadn't been explored. Operation Yamato remained intact. They won't trace the explosion back to us, said Klein. It'll just look like a malfunctioning oxygen tank. That's not the problem. They're going back. Fra Morrow? They're more persistent than we thought. I'll get a team together. No, said Lee. He stopped next to a set of thick, reinforced double doors. He motioned to the security guard to let them through and led Klein into the octagonal control room. I need you for something else. A buzz of activity surrounded them. Operation Yamato's excavation team. Operatives manned stations that monitored worker fatigue, depth ratios, equipment maintenance, and noise levels. Lee checked the video screens that monitored the excavation project's progress. The foreman hurried over to greet them. Afternoon, sir. Afternoon. Progress report? One of the drills broke this morning, but we were able to fix it within an hour. We're close. Real close. Any more injuries? No, sir. The seismic activity seems to have stopped. We're monitoring everything we can, and control measures are now in place to ensure nobody else gets hurt. Good. And the cloaking device? Being monitored even more closely. Backups have been put in place, too. If there's another disruption, we should still be under the radar. Excellent work. Lee turned to Klein. The bounty hunter can handle NASA. When we breach the Union facility, we're going to need firepower. Something big 
Lee held up his data pad. A rendering of two small spheres appeared. You're going to Russia to get it. Thanks for listening to episode five of Time Slinger season one. We'll be back next week with episode six. So make sure you're subscribed. Stay tuned. After this outro, I'll play a clip from my exclusive behind the scenes commentary where I talk a little more about this episode. If you want access to the full commentary on each episode, support us on Patreon at the $3 a month tier, which is the tier that most people support us at anyway. So that's no problem. And you get access to the full length clip of my writer's commentary. That's over at patreon.com slash the story geeks. Your support enables us to do even more serials like this. So please consider supporting us. If you want to binge listen to Time Slinger season one, you can order the entire audiobook when it's complete. That way you don't have to listen to my intros and outros. Or if you prefer to read it yourself, you can get a print or digital copy on amazon.com. Links to all of those items are in the show notes, or you can find more info at patreon.com slash the story geeks or reclamation society.org slash timeslingers. Episode five was written by me, Jay Shear. Nathan Sheck illustrated this book and served as a story consultant. Timeslingers season one, including episode five, was produced by the Reclamation Society. And finally, here's a clip from my exclusive audio commentary, which you can get on Patreon. And I'll catch you next week for episode six. Episode five, this takes us to the launch of Apollo 13. And obviously the XLS are messing with Apollo 13. I have actually had the chance to, uh, on a family vacation, we went to Kennedy Space Center way back in the day. And um, there are some cool elements in there that are, that are, that are kind of fun. Um, I did not, I, I saw some of the launch pads and saw some of the, um, the giant machines they use to move the rockets are pretty amazing. They're like these giant tractor-like things. And they, they'll actually move those things across like gravel roads, which is really fascinating to me. Um, and the whole Kennedy Space Center area is really, really highly recommended by me um, if you're interested in that kind of stuff. So been there, seen it, um, which was cool. I actually had to do some research on the Apollo program and putting this part of the story together. And I was able to actually look up a bunch of the schematics for Apollo 13. Nothing super detailed like that Klein would have needed. But it's pretty interesting. They have all that stuff on um, some government websites that you can go check out. You can download their actual like PDFs of the space program and what's going on with it. So that was really fun. Um, I like the beginning here. We see a new... I'm not always really, as a writer, the most creative when it comes to coming up with new devices, especially sci-fi devices. So we had the NeuroPulse Rewriter, which in this case um, uses uh, machines to rewrite the memory of human beings. So you can hear a lot of...